Hello and welcome to the Smart Witch Podcast and thank you so much for being here with me and also happy belated Lionsgate. I'm recording this on the 9th so the peak of the Lionsgate portal activation was yesterday so I hope that if you did anything to celebrate or conducted any sort of a ritual that it was really satisfying and that you're already feeling that upgrade that comes from this amazing time of year. And today I'm really excited because this is going to be a Q&A episode and it's a little bit different than some of the ones that we've done in the past. So I'm actually going to answer three questions today that are completely different. I intentionally chose three really different questions on different topics because I actually kind of wanted to show off the diversity of this podcast because I think that's something that does actually set this particular space apart from other platforms out there that are similar. And, um, I have done like Q&A episodes in the past where like I've taken a somewhat specific question and expanded it a little bit so that not only do I answer the particular question, but I kind of get a whole episode's content out of it. But again, today is going to be different. We're going to answer three questions, but I'm going to condense it a little bit. We're going to keep it pretty short, pretty specific, and I hope that you enjoy it because as I said, we're talking about three completely different things today, and I think it's going to be really fun, and I want to do more like this. So please send me your questions. Ask me literally anything, um, and yeah, it might be featured on the podcast and answered here publicly, and it might help a lot of other people. So please do send me an email with anything that you might want to know. My email is thesmartwitchpodcast at gmail.com, and I will post a link to that in the description of this episode. But without further ado, let's get started. So the first question that I received that was so good, and I actually did want to kind of make a whole episode out of this because you really could, but, um, and I'm not going to quote it, specifically, but the question was basically, is it ethical to conduct a love spell? And that was kind of, it is a specific question, but it's also kind of vague in general. So I'm going to clarify and expound on what I'm assuming this person is talking about. So let's say, for example, that you as a witch or just an empowered babe that believes that you uh, can influence the world around you, because that's basically how we define the word witch in this podcast, right? I am actually a witch. I conduct spells. I worship the moon. I worship the goddess, but not necessarily everyone that listens to this podcast follows that tradition or is necessarily a witch in the spiritual sense of the word. Some of you really just take the word witch to mean an empowered woman that really believes that she can manifest or create the things that she desires and can affect the world around her. And that's really, in my opinion, what being a witch, or really to make it more of a gender neutral term, a magician is. A magician is really just someone that takes the act of synchronicity into their own hands and basically takes control and not control, that's not a great word, but takes responsibility for and works in alignment with their subconscious material, which is immensely powerful. I think it was Carl Jung who said, um, if you do not, I don't know the exact quote off the top of my head, but basically if you do not um, uncover or unearth your subconscious material and befriend your subconscious mind, it will continue to run your life and you will call it fate. And again, I'm sorry if I butchered the first half of that quote. I'm not recalling it exactly, but you get the gist from what I was able to recall. And um, that's very much what I think we do as witches and magicians. We're basically just working with our subconscious mind to change our beliefs and understand that we really do create the world around us. And obviously, I don't want to get too far into that. That's for another episode. Um, but that's how we define witch here and that's, I think, needs to be considered as I'm answering this question. So let's say that you are a witchy babe 
who has a crush on a particular cutie or has taken a liking to someone and would really like to manifest a relationship with that particular person. I'm guessing that's the kind of situation this person is in or the kind of situation that this person is thinking about when they're asking me if this is ethical. And uh, the short answer is that no, it's not really totally ethical to manifest a specific relationship with a specific person, I wouldn't say. Obviously, we all have different ethical and moral codes, so there really is no easy answer to that. But in my opinion, it's not ethical to mess with someone's free will as a witch, but way more to the point than ethics. That's actually really hard to do, and I don't think that that's as much of a thing as pop culture depictions of witchcraft uh, would imply. I don't think that this really happens. I don't think it's something that is easy to do, and I think that the individual free will that we have as, as human beings is much stronger, and it is a kind of magic, our free will, in and of itself. So I think that we're constantly protecting ourselves with our critical thinking skills and our ability to create our lives, we're constantly in a state of magically protecting ourselves from that kind of interference. So way more than is it ethical to manifest a specific relationship with a specific person, I would say don't even try, babe, because it's not only probably not going to work, but even if it did, depending on your particular particular beliefs in your moral code. If you're a Wiccan, for example, the Wiccan read is pretty specific in its belief that anytime we manifest anything or conduct spell work to infringe on someone's free will, not only will it likely not work at all, but there are actually karmic retributions that can come along with that in a lot of different spiritual and magical traditions. Um, again, that really does depend on your particular beliefs and how you believe energy in the world works. Um, but for a lot of people, they would warn against that, um, suggesting that there could even be detrimental side effects for you. I don't necessarily know if I believe that. I just don't think it would work. And more importantly, babe, I would say if someone isn't into you, then they clearly don't deserve you. They don't see your value. And I don't think that you should even want to conduct any sort of a spell to convince them. Otherwise, that's not your job. You should never feel like magically or otherwise you need to convince someone to like or want you. Um, that shouldn't be something that you want to do. And so I really would encourage you, babe, to think about your priorities and think about your worth and what you deserve because you deserve to be with someone that is stoked about you. And that is magical. And you should not have to, um, work too hard to make that happen. So I really do want to, to clarify that. Um, I think that's really important. But more to the point, if you do want to talk about an ethical way to use magic and to use your witchy skills to manifest the relationship that you want to be in, then there are lots of very ethical ways that you can do that. And you can even kind of use your crush as an example. So Again, going back to this particular circumstance, like let's say that you are a witch and you do have a crush on this particular person. Um, maybe you're not sure if they feel the same way. Maybe there's like signs, but you're just not positive. So what you can do is, and what I would encourage you to do is sit down and make it a love ritual. Light a candle, burn some incense, anoint yourself with rose oil, um, burn some sage, and sit down and write, preferably in a sacred book of some sort, like a book of shadows, although I'm all about decompartmentalizing spirituality, so any old journal or notebook would be fine. Um, but sit down and actually write out all of the things about this person that you like, um, depending obviously on how well you know them or how much you know about them. Them, but obviously, if you like them that much that you're considering, you know, 
creating a relationship with them, you like stuff. You like enough things that you should be able to kind of pinpoint it. So I recommend really thinking about it and making a list of all of the things about this person that fascinate you. And they could be physical. Maybe they have beautiful eyes or a great smile or nice big broad shoulders or something like that. But maybe there's a lot of non-physical things too. Maybe they have a great sense of humor and you're always laughing when you're around them. Or maybe they're really protective around you and that makes you feel good. Or, you know, maybe they let you talk, they don't interrupt you, and they seem to recall details about your life, and that makes you feel really validated. These are all things that we find about people that make us really like them, and these are the kinds of things that would make us want to be in a relationship with someone, right? So I really recommend getting clear not only about the qualities about them that you like, but think even more powerfully and specifically about the ways that you feel when you're around them. And I just kind of, it's basically the same list, right? So as I just said, do you feel validated when you're around them? Do you feel understood? Do you feel listened to and heard? Do you feel admired? Do you feel funny when you're around them? Do they bring out your more playful, laid back side? Maybe everyone else in your life brings out more of the type A person around, person, um, not around you, but in you. So these are really good questions to ask yourself to help you sort of pinpoint what it is about this person. Because when we have feelings for someone, whether it's totally just like a surface level crush or deeper feelings, it's always more about us than them, right? Like they are helping us access something about ourselves that we're really liking, that we're really vibing off of and that we want more of in our lives. And this is information that we can use for a, for a really powerful love spell. And actually, that's the thing about love spells is that they really are more powerful when they are specific. And obviously, you don't want to be overly specific. We have to give the universe um, or the divine, whatever you like to call that, that force, room to surprise us and room to ultimately call the shots. But it's really best when we can articulate and find and establish what it is exactly that we want and ask for it. That is so powerful. And a lot of us think we know what we want in terms of love or really anything that we might be trying to manifest, but we kind of don't. We've never actually sat down. We've never put pen to paper. We've never thought deeply about it. And so we don't really specifically know what we want. And if you have a crush on someone, this is a really good way to find out. And so if you sit down and figure out the exact kind of relationship that you want to manifest, so using some of my earlier examples, maybe you want to manifest a relationship where you feel validated, you feel listened to, you feel supported, you are laughing all the time, um, then that is something that you can conduct a spell for, and it would be very powerful. And what's beautiful about this is that it might be with this person that to you embodies all of those qualities. This would be a really good way to, if they're interested, to sort of open the door, magically speaking, and make it more likely that they, that they might come around. Uh, maybe quick, more quickly than they would otherwise. Because I do feel, by the way, that magic isn't going to, as I said, make someone do something that they wouldn't otherwise do. I don't think it's going to make someone have feelings for you or reciprocate your um, your feelings if they, they don't already. So that's not really the point. As much as I do think magic can sometimes accelerate processes that are already happening, and it can also just sort of bring feelings to the surface um, it can make you feel more empowered. It can make the process more satisfying. So there's lots of reasons why we as witches will conduct love spells. But what's beautiful about manifesting a relationship with someone in more of those 
you know, general terms where you're not picturing a particular person, but you're extracting and identifying what it is that you like about that person and saying that that's really what you want. Because, spoiler alert, that is what you really want. It almost doesn't matter if it's them or if it's a different package. That's just what you want. You want to feel the way they make you feel. And maybe, as I said, there are some particular qualities or particular uh, traits about them that you do want to see in a partner or lover or whatever. Um, but it really is way more about you than them. So what's nice is that this doesn't exclude them and they might come around, but it also doesn't overly focus on them. And there are so many other possibilities. You could end up manifesting someone 10,000 times better, better for you, I should say. Um, so that's what I would recommend is kind of using your crush to get a sense of what you want and then conducting a love spell that sort of, um, allows the possibility that it could be a romance with them, but also stays open to all of the other possibilities. And a crush, by the way, really is a great way to just get this going and to get you in touch with that part of yourself that does want love and that feels available for love and that also has a sense of what you want. Now, the other alternative, in addition to that kind of a mindful process, is you can also do, and this is my personal favorite, you can just do like a radiance spell. You don't necessarily have to do a spell or a manifestation um, practice for a particular outcome, such as you know manifesting a relationship. You can also just do like a general ritual of some kind to enhance your personal magnetism and your personal radiance and your powers of attraction and your allure. That's absolutely an all-purpose love spell kind of because it just helps you to feel more empowered in your love life. It is going to attract people to you. And so again, it's totally ethical because you're not affecting anyone else necessarily. You're just keeping about you. You're enhancing your appeal and your confidence and your sexuality and your radiance. And that in and of itself can be a really powerful love spell. And what's nice is there's a lot of like non-magical ways to do this, right? You don't necessarily have to do an elaborate spell. You can increase your radiance and your magnetism by mindfully anointing yourself with a particular oil blend for that purpose before you leave the house. Or you can do it by dancing. You can do it by um, taking a bubble bath in rose petals and essential oil and crystals. There's lots of different little rituals that aren't necessarily big, elaborate, um, you know, spells that can amplify your radiance and do put you in touch with the energy stream of like love and romance and all of that. And again, without necessarily implicating any one particular person or overly focusing on them. So that would be my kind of long-winded response is that it's not a question of ethics as much as it's really a question of whether or not that works. And I don't think it does. And I also think that it just sort of takes away from the larger, greater point, which is that it's on you to decide what you want. And this person can help you do that. But once you figure that out, I would just stay open to other possibilities and conduct more of a general love spell, or as I said, an attraction spell to just amplify your radiance so that if this person does have a crush on you or they reciprocate your feelings, they're going to be more likely to come forward and, and something will be more likely to happen between the two of you. But at the same time, you're totally giving space for that to not happen and for something else to happen. So that would be my advice. I know that was kind of a longer answer, but I hope that it totally answers the question for you of like what a love spell is. Is it ethical to conduct a love spell? when you have a crush on a particular person and how would you negotiate that? That's my thoughts on that. So hopefully that is helpful and clears things up. Now, the next thing I want to talk about, the next specific question 
that I received is about cusp action. So I have someone that said that they were on the cusp of Scorpio and Sagittarius, and they wanted me to talk about that. And actually, I'm not going to talk about that cusp situation in particular, but I thought this would be a really good opportunity to talk about cusps generally, because I'm actually really passionate about this. And honestly, this could have gone in my astrology myth episode, which is two episodes ago. I think it was like 17 or 18, something like that, which by the way, if you haven't listened to that, I'm super proud of it. It's actually my favorite one that I've ever recorded. So please do hop over and listen to that one too. But um, the whole idea of cusps influencing how a sign ends up like playing out for you, like how your sun sign will end up affecting you, is basically a myth. That's not really a thing. Um, there are some astrologers that don't agree with me on that and that do actually use cusps in their interpretations and that do acknowledge that somehow if you are a Scorpio but you were born kind of toward the end that you might have some Sagittarius in you. Um, that's not really the case in my personal experience or opinion. Um, And that's because astrology is math. A lot of people don't realize how mathematical the process of um, assembling and drawing a chart really is. It's literally math. The sun enters a particular zone of the ecliptic at a particular time. And by the way, that is a different time every year. So a lot of people do ask me like why the the dates are different depending on the resource in terms of like when, when you are officially, you know, a Sag as opposed to a Scorpio. Um, some books would say like the 21st, some would say the 20th, some would say the 19th. And the reason why that date tends to be inconsistent is because they're not fixed. Literally, the sun enters Sagittarius at a different time every year. And it really can be any time from, say, like the 18th to the 22nd. So you really do, if you're not sure, and by the way, that is worth looking up. If you've never had a professional astrology reading where they actually do look at your birth chart and pull it up and interpret it for you, I do recommend that you get one. But you can also just look it up yourself. I always recommend going to astro.com because you can literally get your birth chart pulled up on your phone in a matter of seconds. You just need the exact time of your birth as well as the location and obviously the date. And then you'll be able to pull that up and see for sure what you are. I've actually clarified for people that always thought that they were one sign only to realize that they were actually born um, in a different sign because they were born right on the cusp. So if you are a cusp person, I do recommend making sure that for the year you were born, you are correct in knowing what sign you are because the books can be wrong. Because as I said, those dates aren't fixed. So the sun doesn't enter Sagittarius on the same date every year. It doesn't always enter Sagittarius on uh, the 21st of um, November. So it's really important to get clear about that and um, make sure that you know which of the two that you are. But to answer the original question, you are one of the two. I don't believe that if you're a Scorpio that's born toward the end of November, that you're going to be a little bit more like a Sag than any other Scorpio. Unless, and actually this is a really good explanation for people that feel like they are cuspy, Um, you do have a lot of um, Sagittarius elsewhere in your chart, which is very possible because Mercury and Venus tend to follow the sun pretty closely. So they're usually only a couple signs away. And so it's very possible that you could have Sagittarius as another significant planetary placement or position 
in your natal birth chart that is coloring your personality a little bit to be a little more Sag. So that's what I would say for people that feel like they are not a typical Scorpio is that you probably have conflicting um, planetary positions somewhere in your chart that are bringing out some different qualities for you that aren't really resonant as much with Scorpio. Because I always say on this podcast, I'm very passionate about dispelling the myth that the sun sign is like the full picture because it's totally not our sun sign is not even necessarily the most important sign. I think the moon sign says way more about us than the sun sign does. And even the rising sign, to an extent, you could argue is pretty much equally important. And honestly, the north node, too, is right up there. So really, there's so much more to your astrological um, personality and DNA than your sun sign. So if you are a Scorpio that feels like there's a lot of other things going on, I don't think the cusp element is to blame. I feel like it's probably just more of the result of um, having, you know, some conflicting planetary situations. So that's my take on cusps. I literally don't acknowledge them at all or believe that there is um, an effect or a difference between being born in early Scorpio season or later Scorpio season. Again, not all astrologers and witches feel that way. Some do acknowledge like a cusp situation, but I think most astrologers do agree with me that it is a process of math and the sun literally is either in one sign or another. Um, the OG badass bitch of astrology herself, Linda Goodman, taught that and I very much subscribe to her belief on that and don't, don't acknowledge... Um, cusps as anything important or significant. So that is my take on that. And I hope that that is very helpful. And then the last question that I wanted to answer, which is also really good and really different, is the difference between opalite and opal, um, which is a really good question. So if you have a crystal collection, or if you are a crystal healer, or you're just really into crystal magic, I'm sure you've probably heard of opal. There's lots of different types of opal. Um, obviously, the most common would just be common, like creamy white opal. Um, obviously, there's lots of other types that are um, a little rare, a little more expensive. Um, but common opal is really easy to come across, and it's a really common addition to most people's collection. And opal is actually, um, it's a silicon dioxide mineral, and it's actually formed from water. And opalite is... This can get really confusing because it does sound like opal, um, but opalite, which is more common than most types of opal, is not actually a crystal at all. It's a man-made glass. So that's that's the difference. Is opal is actually a crystal. It was formed by Mother Earth. It's a silicon dioxide mineral formed from water, uh, whereas opalite is actually a type of glass. And the reason it's called opalite is because it literally has nothing to do with opal. There's no opal in it. Um, it's, so it's a completely different energetic situation. And the reason that it's called opalite is because of the color play of the glass. Um, it has what literally uh, they call opalescence, which is just refers to that um, color play, which is truly gorgeous. If you've never heard of opalite, I recommend looking it up on your phone so you can see it for yourself. It's extremely beautiful, and it is a man-made glass, but a lot of crystal healers still do work with opalite, and you'll find it in most witch shops as well for sale. Um, and honestly, when it comes to the man-made glasses, this is also kind of a controversial subject. Some crystal healers and witches and uh, those who work magic with crystals are a little more excited about that than I am. Um, and the reason for that is because everything is color magic, right? So even if you're working with 
um, colored glass as a crystal. First of all, glass does actually technically come from quartz. So you could make that argument that there is some quartz magic in there too. Um, but it also, you are still working with the, the energy of color. So even if you have like a piece of blue glass that was man-made that you bought at a at a witch shop because I have seen that by the way um there they are selling like tumbled blue glass as like uh blue obsidian for example I've seen that which is a little misleading because it's not obsidian it's not formed from volcanic um lava at all it's literally just man-made in a laboratory so there's an important distinction there and sometimes I do think the ethics get blurred with what people will sell under a cool name and maybe even might not clarify that what's for sale is actually not not a mineral. It's actually a man-made glass. And I don't think there's anything wrong with working with a man-made glass for its energetic properties for the color magic aspect. Because if you want to work Blu-ray magic, you know, blue would be tranquility, peace, communication, um, wisdom. So those might be energy streams that you might use like a blue, you know, artificial glass situation to work with, maybe in conjunction with some other actual minerals. And I think that that would be fine, but I just think it's important as a seller to be honest and to be ethical and to be clear with what you're selling. Another thing I've seen too is goldstone sold as sunstone. I found that once at a, at a witch shop that I was in in Florida, and I was really surprised that they would be so uh, incorrect because goldstone, again, is another man-made um, glass that is very common in the metaphysical market. It's something that a lot of witches do have in their crystal collections. And it's certainly not sunstone though. That is a completely different mineral. So I would say that if you're looking at something that has really strong color play like opalite, or it kind of just looks like glass, then ask about it. I think that always asking for clarification is important, especially in the metaphysical community. Sometimes sellers can think that they can pull things on us because we just aren't smart enough. We're just like the woo-woo, like weirdos that don't actually know our shit, and that's not true. I try to teach crystal knowledge on this podcast a lot for that reason um, because we deserve to be um, informed about what we're buying. So I do recommend just always asking if you're unsure about something or if something seems like it's labeled incorrectly, uh, it's always worth mentioning or asking about. And as I said, I don't think there's anything wrong with working with those. And I do actually have a piece of opalite in my collection. But what I will tell you is that opalite, I feel a little bit differently about than some of the other man-made crystals, quote unquote, um, because opalite is actually made with crystals. So it's, again, has nothing to do with opal. So that was the original question is the difference between opalite and opal. And the difference is everything. They literally have nothing in common except for the color play that is known as opalescence which is an imitation um, in opalite. It's not, it's literally been created to mimic the color play that you'll see in like, for example, uh, fire opal. And other than that, there really is no similarity. So opalite is a form of man-made glass, but the reason that I do actually work with it, it's one of the few man-made crystals that I do actually have in my personal collection, and that's because it is actually made with minerals. So it's made with silica powder, which is essentially quartz. It's made with uh, dolomite powder, which is a mineral. Dolomite, I actually have a piece of dolomite in my collection. You might too. It's pretty common. And then I also, it also is made with fluorite powder too, which is, again, a mineral. So working with opalite does combine the energy, in my opinion, alchemically of quartz, dolomite, and fluorite. 
And that's a really powerful combination. So not only is it beautiful and adds a beautiful pop of color in your collection, but it does, in my opinion, kind of carry that resonance of those minerals, even though it was man-made and it was not, it's not actually a crystal made from mama earth. Do I think it's just as powerful? No, I think there's obviously a difference between crystals that were actually baked in the earth and are a product of mother earth and crystals that were man-made, but I do think that opalite in particular calls to me. Um, it's a really good stone to use for spell work around business success and manifesting um, abundance, so that's a really good way to work with it if you do have a piece in your collection. Um, typically, I do steer clear of the, any sort of a man-made stones. I don't even have gold stone in my collection because it's just not something that I um, have ever really felt drawn to, but the only one that I, that I did buy is opalite, but I'm really glad this question was asked because I've seen opalite um, on people like as a necklace and I've like mentioned that I like it and I've had people say, thanks, it's opal. And I didn't correct them obviously because why would I in that kind of a situation? But just so you know, if you see opalite for sale, just understand that that is not opal and it has nothing to do with opal. It's a completely different uh, situation entirely. It is a man-made glass made from silica powder, dolomite, and fluorite, among other uh, components too. So that's just important to know and be aware. And again, never be afraid to ask questions, even if you're in like a witch shop where everything seems really ethical. If you're confused about something or if something seems incorrect or like it's mislabeled or like you just don't know what it is or it looks like it's artificial but you're not sure, just ask. Some crystals are so beautiful that they do look artificial and they're not. So it's always a fair question and I'm sure the seller or... Um, shop owner, depending on where you are, would be more than happy to clarify for you. So thank you for asking that question. I love to clear that up. And I think just the difference between the man-made quote-unquote stones and the real ones is a fascinating topic. And it's something that everyone has a different opinion on. Um, Hibiscus Moon, who is the crystal healer that I trained under formally and got my certification from, has like a zero tolerance policy for the man-made stones. Um, but I don't. As I said, I work with opalite. That's pretty much the only one I work with, but I do believe that there's something to color magic generally, and most of them are made, as I said, with powdered minerals of some kind. So you'll want to do your independent research on that depending on what you have. But I do think that if there's mineral powder involved, then um, it's going to have some sort of an energetic significance too. So depending on what you're using it for and depending on you know your personal thoughts and feelings on that, there's nothing wrong necessarily with having a man-made stone or glass in your collection as long as you just know the difference and you know what it is and so you use it correctly and understand that that's the energy stream that you're working with as opposed to like a common um, opal or uh, even a more expensive opal. So that is my two cents on that. So I guess that's it. Those were the only three questions I had prepared to answer today. So that's going to be it for now. But I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I would like feedback because as I said, this is a really different model than the vision that I initially had for the Q&A episode. So please let me know if you prefer this format with like kind of more rapid fire answering specific questions in just one episode, or if you prefer how I was kind of doing it before, where I was actually sort of taking a question and going super deep one at a time and making a whole episode out of it. Um, and also, as I said at the beginning, please send me your questions. Literally ask me anything because as you can see, it gets pretty diverse here. We have lots of very different conversations in this podcast, which I'm really proud of that we can bring that variety to you. So um, let me know if there's something that you want me to address 
you can email me at the smartwitchpodcast at gmail.com. That's the quickest way to get a hold of me. And I will uh, consider answering that here. So thanks again. I'm also going to encourage you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter if you haven't done that already. Um, I post, I will post the link in the description of this episode for that too. I would love to see you there. I basically just send an email out every Tuesday morning. We talk about crystals. We talk about tarot. We talk about astrology. Sometimes I'll talk a little bit about my life and what's going on. I publish a gratitude list there. So it's a really good, just high vibe piece of reading material to set you up for your week. And it's a good way to stay in touch to between the release of episodes. So please um, go ahead and do that as well. And I'm going to thank you one more time for being here with me today. And I hope that you have a fantastic rest of your day or night. And I will talk to you again very soon.